Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. I want you to look forward to God's Word, so let's pray as we prepare our hearts for that. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you that we get together around your Word. Lord, I pray that you'll speak to every single heart, that you will guide and direct my words as well, Lord, and will speak life and all the things that you want to speak into our lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Now, this could be the shortest message ever because I just realized I don't have my notes here. So, excuse me for 10 seconds. And I'm back. No one left. Isn't that great? Such faith. All right, I'm going to kick off with the scripture. If you've got your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open up those paper ones, scroll down on your screen. This is... a uh, a reasonably chunky bit of scripture, but it will paint the picture for the message that I want to be talking about this morning. So uh, just bear with me here. So we're going to kick off with Luke chapter 15 and verses 11 through to 31. Now I'm not going to speed read so that it goes at lightning pace. I'm going to read so that we can understand this because that's what it's really all about. But to preface this by saying this is the, the story, the parable of the lost son. And so if you've been a Christian for a while, read your Bible for a while, come to church for a while, you probably are familiar with this story. So that's great. Uh, this will be quite meaningful to you. And maybe it's new to you. Well, that'll be awesome as well. So let's kick this off with verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to be a citizen of that country, and who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the, other, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me 
and everything I have is yours. Quite an incredible tale there, the compassion of the father, uh, the predictable thing in which uh, the son uh, went off on his wild ways, but there is so much in there. I just want to recap a couple of things in there that you might not understand historically or really just highlight some of the key points that were in that passage of Bible. Uh, Verse 12, uh, if you want to be taking notes, the son asked for the inheritance, but the father wasn't even dead yet. Can you imagine how just like in your face, blatantly rude and obnoxious that must have been like, hey, it's almost like saying, I wish you were dead. But because you're not dead yet, can I have what you're going to give me anyway? And this actually was the younger son who was asking. Now, the older son has priority in Jewish families. So here's the youngest son saying, hey, by the way, no, you're not dead, dad, but hey, I want my share as well. Now, he got less. It was always going to be because of family tradition. He was never going to get as much as the older brother, but he wanted it anyway. He then went off. Things didn't go too well, squandered his money, surprise there. He became hired labour. Even worse than that, he had to work with pigs. Now, in Jewish culture, they're not allowed to work with pigs. They're not even allowed to eat pigs. And even to this day, uh, Jews that observe Jewish customs do not eat pork at all. So here's this guy working and feeding the pigs, the very animals that he's not to have any connection with. He then realises, look, I've got to go back to Dad. So he swallows his pride to some extent and says, look, it's better off that I go back and be a servant at least. I've lost my sonship, but at least I get to go back to be a servant. So that's his game plan. What he didn't expect to happen was what happened, is that the father welcomes him back. Not only welcomes him back as a servant, but says, no, 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 you're still my son. Can you imagine what must have been going on in that young man's head? Like, oh my goodness, I was expecting to be cast out, but I've been welcomed back as a son, not just as a servant. And then we see uh, that the other brother, he gets a bit angry, a bit jealous. Um, I can understand it. I think I probably would be a bit miffed as well, going, well, hang on, this guy did all these bad things, and now you're throwing a party for him? So I kind of get where the young brother was coming from in that regard. So this is a story about the prodigal son. And here's my title for you. This is The Other Brother. I want to talk to you this morning about The Other Brother. Not the one who went away and did the bad stuff. The brother that stayed behind. The brother that stayed behind and was diligent. Yet we've seen some some clues here as to how perhaps he didn't handle that whole situation incredibly well. So I want to talk about that. Because I see, maybe it's just me, but I see so many facets of The Other Brother in my life as well. And I thought, God, if you're challenging me about this, if you wanted to speak to me to become a better person, then I think this is something that I want to share with the church as well. So come along with this ride for me uh, through God's grace. And um, it'll be great. So there's a couple of key things that I do see initially on the brother, which I'll expand on. First of all, there's pride in the brother, which is not a great thing. The pride, that was a barrier between him It excluded him from the celebration. He wasn't physically excluded from the celebration. He was just out in the field afar. And so when he heard the noise in the distance, then he decided to come closer. And you could even think, yeah, but why wasn't he invited? He was out from afar. And understand the story here. There wasn't a, you know, the son didn't email ahead and text ahead and say, hang on, I'm coming home, Dad. Meet me out at the farm gate. The father had no idea that the son was ever going to come back. And so this was a very random occasion. So, of course, the other brother wasn't anywhere near. But when he hears it, he immediately gets disgruntled about that. So he excluded himself from what should have been the most joyous occasion in that family. Can you imagine losing someone in your family that you love so much and then finding out they're not dead after all? 
that certainly would be cause for celebration. But this brother excludes himself because of pride. He's actually sinning. He's probably thinking the young brother that did amazingly bad things. Well, pride is a sin as well. So this older brother um, trying to do a bit of one-upmanship, he's actually sinning as well, which is not great. Part of the reason he gets jealous, he, he lists it out and he says, Look, Dad, you never even gave me a young goat for my party. How many people want a goat for their party? Just checking here. It's not something that really appealed to me. I would have asked for other things as a comparison because what if the dad says, there you go, there's a goat. I go, great, now what am I supposed to do with this thing? Unless you can dress it up or something, I don't know. But he was obviously miffed. And so that tells me that he was serving the father, but there were conditions on it. Maybe he never said them, but he was conditionally serving the father. There was always this what am I going to get in return for it? So those are some of the things that I see for him. He says that it's his father, but he doesn't really have that much love for him because if he did, he would be wanting things that please the father. Things that please the father, of course, was the other son who came back. But this brother wasn't focused on that. He was focused on the things that he had been missing out. And most of all, at the end of that passage, we see the father saying to the older son, look, everything I have is yours, always has been. Yet this brother couldn't see that. So he just misses out on so much. And I think that's, that's pretty sad. So let me go into some of my more structured points there. So my first point here, point number one, growth is up to us. So this month, our series, we're talking about growth for the whole month. And so this is an apt point. Growth is up to us. Do you know that every living thing has the potential to grow? But here's a strange thing. It actually doesn't always happen, even though it's got the potential, because growth has prerequisites. Think of plants. Yes, plants can grow. But as I've certainly found out, if you give them too much water, they don't like it and they die. Do you know I actually killed a cactus? I killed three of them. There's skill right there, isn't it? I mean, who would have thought you could kill cactuses? I certainly can. Um, I like to think I killed them with kindness, but maybe it's because they were in my bathroom up on the windowsill, the other side of glass in the middle of summer, and there was no way for the heat to escape in. Maybe they just carked it. I'm not too sure. But anyway, there is potential for everything to grow, but there are those prerequisites. But when the prerequisites are present, then you do get growth. That's the way that God has designed everything. We certainly know that every baby and every child will grow up into an adult, provided those needs are met the needs that they need. Food, water, shelter, care, all those sorts of things. So that's all natural. We expect that to happen. But then if you segue to us as believers, as Christians, we should always grow as well. But the ingredients need to be there. And a big part of that is our willingness to grow as Christians. Just being a Christian for X number of years doesn't automatically mean that you will have grown. You can do the same thing or you can do not much at all for a long period of time and that will predetermine that you really don't grow too much. Or you can do a whole bunch of things that foster growth and you will grow. So as believers, we are all meant to grow and the Bible talks about this, encourages us. Here's a passage for you. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 2, which says, I gave you milk, not solid food. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. I gave you milk not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. That's the pastor heart right there, isn't it? <laughs> you, are, 
you needed solid food, but you're not yet ready for it. You're still on milk. And so that tells me that God wants us to move on from the milk onto the solid food, just like when we're rearing babies and, and children. We're meant to get onto the solid stuff. We are meant to be growing. And this is going to blow your mind. If we don't grow, we stay the same. Think about that. Not too long, otherwise you, it'll be your head in. But if we don't grow, we're going to stay the same. And you might think that's a bit of a strange thing to say. Of course it's obvious. Yes, it is. But we want to get better at things, hopefully. I know there's things in my life I want to get better at. And sometimes I'm having a bit of a whinge to God and I'm saying, God, I'd like this to happen in my life, I'd like that to happen in my life, and this is still the same. Occasionally I get that little feedback from God going, yeah, but have you changed what you need to change? Because if we don't change the things we need to change, then we're not going to get the growth. Just existing won't actually be it. So what are some signs that you've grown up? What are some things that show you that you've actually grown up? Well, things that used to amaze you no longer do. And I don't mean that from a jaded sense. But when you grow up, when you've matured a bit more, you have greater understanding about things. And so things that you just think, how did that ever happen? How did that work? Uh, one of my favourite things that I'm involved in and what I love is aeroplanes. And so they used to amaze me that these huge big metal structures would actually fly. Now I have an understanding on the laws of physics and aerodynamics and I know how a plane actually flies mechanically. Um, so it no longer amazes me in the sense of how does it do that. I'm still, I love seeing it. It still brings joy to my heart. But I'm no longer amazed. It's no longer this mystery because I now have understanding. How about things that used to be fun but aren't anymore? That's a bit of a sign of growing up. Now, if you're game enough here, as mostly adults, as I look around here, who still loves playing hide and seek? I'm not putting my hand up for that one. Couple, actually. There you go. Wow. David Nah, hide and seek. Okay, right now, if you go out to the back. <laughs> no. With your kids, you're going to say with the kids? Oh, there you go. There's a caveat right there with your kids. Fair enough. Um, not something that I really enjoy doing anymore. Doesn't do much for me. So there's a bit of indication about the fact that we may have now grown up because there's things that uh, no longer are fun. How about watching things like an old TV show that used to be so, so funny? And now you're watching and you go, what was I thinking? Well, you're a nine-year-old. You weren't thinking at all. It was funny. Um, and so now it isn't anymore. So those are all key indicators that we've grown up. And so I think as Christians, we should be looking like that as well. But we only know that we've grown up because we're now on the other side of those things. We're on the other side of those things that used to amaze us. We're on the other side of those things that used to be fun. We're on the other side of those things that used to be very, very amusing. Because of the maturity, because of the growth, we now see that we've actually grown but prior to that stage, we wouldn't necessarily know that was the case. What also happens with growth, and when you're not quite there yet, is that there will be things that you simply don't see and that you don't understand. And you can just read all throughout the Gospels where Jesus was often needing to explain to the, to the disciples what, it, what had just happened, what they'd just done. And that was okay. God was cool with that. That's why Jesus came. He came to teach us. So he showed us that there are things that we don't yet know, things that we're going to need to grow into in a level of faith and into a level of understanding. And that's part of his job is to help us understand those things. So it's okay. I'm not saying that we should all be growing up. It's going to be an ongoing process for every single one of us. But certainly, where you are in certain places on your growth, it will determine how you see things. It will determine what you look at and how you perceive things. 
Here's an image for you that I'd like to show you. And um, it's a okay kind of an image, I suppose. Got some water there. Little uh, walkway out there. It's reasonably nondescript. So based on your growth, based on your understanding, it could be anywhere in the world. Let me show you the next image, which is the same image, but just zoomed out a little bit. And if you're a Perthite, you might recognise that one. That's why I didn't show that one to start off with. But if you were just looking at a portion of that picture, you might not realise the significance of the imagery. But if you've grown a bit more, you've got some more understanding, you've lived in Perth for a little while, you understand the significance of that particular structure. And as nice as that is, and maybe you've got memories there, maybe you've had wedding photos there, a lot of people actually do that. But still, because you're at the ground level there, you only see so much. Yes, you can see there's water there, but really you have no idea, unless you've been in Perth for a while, that that's part of the Swan River. And you don't know how big the Swan River really is. Let's have a look at the next image. When you get more understanding, you get to look at things from a higher perspective. You get to take in more of the view. Now that boat here that I showed you, it's over on the right-hand side of that image. But all of a sudden, wow, that's a larger river. And of course, that's only a snapshot of the Swan River as well. So when we grow, just like looking at those different images, our perspective will change. We step back, we see a little bit more. When we grow, hopefully we get higher understanding in the things of God. And so therefore, we get to take in more. We get to see things that we hadn't seen before. We get to see beauty that wasn't there before. We get to see potential in people that we didn't see before. Ever rub shoulders with another Christian and got really annoyed about why do they still do dot, dot, dot? Why do they say dot, dot, dot? I know I challenge myself with that and I've got to remember, hang on, I'm only seeing that because I used to be there. So that's a bit of a humility thing for me. The things that annoy me are things like, oh, wow, that reminds me when I used to say things like that, when I used to act like that. So we get to see things on the other side of that growth because we've already gone through a part of that process. But let's take a look back at the other brother for a few moments. I'm going to revise the scriptures here. This time we're looking at verses 25 through to 28, still within Luke 15, which says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. You know to think about that. I wonder when the older brother stopped growing. I wonder when he stopped growing. He stayed on the farm with the father and with the other servants. The prodigal son was gone for a long time. Scripture tells us that he went to a faraway place and he had a fair bit of money, so it would have taken quite a while to burn through um, all of that cash. There was enough time for the older brother to check his attitude, to calm down, uh, to get rid of his anger, to get rid of his resentment, but he didn't. We see that here. But he had all the opportunity in the world to continue growing. But he didn't. He just stagnated that. We see that by his responses. And I think that's a real shame. Yes, there would have been challenges for him to go through. I'm not denying that. But wow, what an opportunity to grow through that. So that when the son did come back, the older brother could have said similar things to what the father did. Hey, I'm so glad you're alive. That's great. Let's come and celebrate together. That would have demonstrated growth. But he obviously wasn't there yet. 
All right, so that's my first point. Growth is up to us. Uh, point number two, actions speak louder than words. Not always. I know it's a saying that some of you might be familiar with. Actions speak louder than words. But that's not always the case. Again, let's look back at the scripture. Uh, Luke 15, this time verses 29 to 30. Just those two verses. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home. You kill the fattened calf for him. So you can be doing all the right things like the brother was, but equally important is the heart. And I think if I was the father, I would have been gobsmacked. I would have been like, where's all this coming from? Like, you've never told me this is what you care about. You've been a servant. You appear to have been a diligent servant. You've been doing all the right things. And now out comes all this verbal Stuff. I was going to say another word, but I won't. All this verbal junk comes out of your mouth. What is going on here? So clearly, the heart wasn't quite there. So in this case, actions, they didn't speak louder than words. His words spoke louder than the action. So bringing it back to us, in the things that that we get to do for God, are they conditional? We do things for God as long as dot, dot, dot. I'll do it, but I expect dot, dot, dot. I'll do this for God, but I'm hoping this. I'll do this for God, but I'm wishing something else happens on there. Well, maybe we don't actually say that, but that's the thoughts uh, that are in our minds sometimes. Let me ask you this then. Would you serve God if you never got any recognition for it? That's a real challenge because I know we've got human emotions on there. But would you serve God? Would you do things for him if no one ever recognized it in this life? Would you still do it for the master? Now, I'm certainly not saying that we shouldn't recognize people. That's not. We love to honor people. We love to celebrate things. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm talking about the heart attitude. Will you do it for him because you love him? Or will the motivation be because of what you get out of it? It is a subtle shift on there, but it can be quite a significant one. So again, That's not what I'm saying Jesus is about. Jesus was all about celebration. He was all about acknowledgement. And of course, we read in the Bible, his first miracle was at a celebration event. He was celebrating what the bride and groom were doing. So Jesus is totally into celebrations. He brought the fun to that party, let me tell you. They were running out of wine, which was a socially acceptable thing to do. I don't think people were getting drunk, uh, but it was just part of what the party celebrations were a part of. And so he was there to contribute to that. So he celebrated that and showed, look, I, I enjoy doing things like that. And so our focus just needs to shift just a little bit. That's all that's required. Just so that we do things because we want to please God. And if we get the other stuff, then that's great. And so I'm saying, if you see people doing things for God, please encourage them. We need it, absolutely. We've still got human emotions. But let's make sure that our hearts are right and that we love to serve God. And the heart attitude, I'm talking here in a church on a Sunday. And so you may be overlaying that with church thoughts, Sunday thoughts, ministry thoughts. Great. It's all valid. But you know what's just as valid, perhaps even more valid, is out there on our Monday through Saturday, out in the marketplace. Um, I'm on staff full-time in the church and have only been so for a couple of years. Prior to that, my other 30 or 40-odd years in the working world, I've been a Christian out there in the marketplace. 
And I had quite a few different career, I suppose, detours along the way. There are many things that I started out doing as a young teenager, none of which I'm doing today. So I had quite a few disappointments along the way. But when I became a Christian, I realised, was I going to let my disappointments in my working life make me a sour, bitter, resentful employee where I'm there but only for the money and everyone's going to know about it? Ever met any people like that? I'm here, it's just for the money. And so I thought, I don't want to be like that. And I'm sure God doesn't want me to be like that either. And so even though the jobs that I was doing at different times weren't what I'd set out to do, I decided I was going to get fulfillment through those regardless. Do you know how I decided to get fulfillment? I was going to do the very best that I could and be a great witness for Jesus. And so that if I got to share that I was a Christian, they wouldn't go, really? You could never tell. <laughs> that would be a very bad indictment, wouldn't it? Hopefully when I shared, maybe people didn't verbalise it, but they, went, they would have said, oh yeah, I can see that. So I intentionally decided that I wanted to be the best employee that I could. I wanted to be the best disciple, the best witness I could for Jesus, whether I said his name or not. And so I got my satisfaction out of knowing that I did the very best that I could. So much so that every day I would pray before going into work, and I still do that to this day because this is even a great place to you know, bring your best as well. And I would pray, God... Help me to be a great witness for you. Help me to be a good witness for you. And so I was always changing and praying and asking God to do open heart surgery on me every single day. That's about attitude and hopefully growth comes as a result of that. And so being a servant for Christ, it's pretty key. It's pretty important stuff. Let me show you a scripture which talks about that. And this is where Jesus showed the servant heart attitude and the right perspective. We read this. This is in Philippians Uh, chapter 2 so I'm just jumping a few ahead thanks Colton so Philippians chapter 2 and verses 5 to 8 in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage rather he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant And that's the key part that I want to show. Taking on the nature of a servant, having the right heart attitude. Again, not so much with the other brother, not the way that I read that scripture. And so that contentment that I talked about, it's not just about being contented in the work that you do, but it's about every facet of your life. And if we become focused in our own lives and centred on ourselves, that's not a road you want to go down. Uh, my mother-in-law, Robin's mother, my wife's mother, um, is now retired, but uh, she's been a psychiatrist for many, many years. She was the registrar at Royal Perth Hospital Mental Clinic for uh, about 20-odd years. She then went into private practice uh, and has just retired recently. So when she's talking psychology stuff, she knows what she's talking about. And she told me uh, several times now that when she's working with patients and they're, they're really stuck in a rut, she gets them to take the focus off themselves and look at the bigger picture. And she strongly encourages them to get involved and do volunteering. You get to be a blessing. You get to help other situations. And it takes the focus off you, gives you a different perspective and lets you just take that pressure off and just be doing something else and then to be able to continue working on yourself as well. So we're talking about the heart attitude. And it's for us as Christians, it's serving God and looking to him first and foremost. So with that then, I said that point two was actions speak louder than words, dot, not always. How about I give you a revised title for point number two? Here it is. I've called it 2A. 
Let your heart speak louder than words and louder than actions. And then that's the sort of story that people can write about your life, hopefully. All right, point number three. We have more than we realise. Let me tell you a brief little story here. This is a story of a family unpacking at their new home. After finishing unpacking, they realised that their dog was missing. Concerned that the dog couldn't find her way back home in such unfamiliar surroundings, they all loaded into the car to search for her. They drove around and around with no success. Not far from their house was a man sitting on a porch. They stopped and asked if he had seen their dog. He said, yes, she's been following your car for the last 10 minutes. <laughs> so we have more than we realise. Sometimes it's just, just behind us trying to catch up onto that tow bar. But other times it's clearly in God's word. Again, going back to the other brother, let's have a look at Luke 15 and verse 31. Just a short one here. My son, the father said, you, always, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. That is so incredibly powerful. Everything I have with yours and you are always with me. Do you know we're always with Jesus? Even through the darkest times, even through the most disappointing times, Jesus is still there. And I've had many times when I've prayed, God, I don't, this has been my prayer. God, I really don't know what to pray for right now other than help. Because I can just get so in my head sometimes. I think, God, I could pray about this, I could pray about that, and this went wrong and that didn't go the way I wanted it to. And I really don't know what to pray. I don't know what the right answer is. So I just say, God, help. And God's there all the time helping us through those situations. So in having more than we realise that we do, it's just sometimes not always clearly obvious what is right inside of us. So here's an image for you on something that is there but might not be incredibly obvious. Some of you might be able to pick it out. Any guesses? This time you can shout out in church if anyone's got an idea here. What do you see? Diamond. Heard the diamond there, yes, and obviously a big rock. So next image, and voila, there we go. That was what was in there. It's not actually the same one, I don't believe. I think when I found that image, the real diamond wasn't that great, so I thought I'd go for one which is a little bit nicer. In actual fact, that diamond, the one on the right-hand side that was there, I found it on eBay. It was actually for sale for, on eBay for $50,000. I think that was US, so that's probably about 75k Australian. Needless to say, I did not click buy now. I'd love to, but I didn't do that. But, you know, in Jesus, we have something more incredible than diamonds, something way more valuable, something way more precious. Here's a great scripture that tells us about that. This is Romans chapter 5. And verses 1 to 2. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace, in which we now stand. And we boast in the hopes of the glory of God. Do you know before Jesus came in Old Testament times, there wasn't a way for you and I, the everyday folk, to get close to God. The closest we could do was go near the temple and we'd put our petitions to the, to the priests, the high priests, who would go in once a year. And even them, that was like, you had to make sure you did the right thing, otherwise you might not come out the other way. You'd get crispy fried from heaven. It wasn't great stuff. You had to make sure you did all the right things. So there were barriers about how close you could actually get to God. Jesus changed all of that. 
we get to commune directly with the Father because of Jesus, through Jesus. It's as simple as accepting Jesus into your heart as your, as your, as his Lord, as your Lord. <laughs> say it again. As Lord and Saviour. Too many words in there. It's as simple as that. You just say, Jesus, come into my heart and he can become your Lord and Saviour. And we get to be so close to God. So Romans 5, that is an incredible thing. And so even if you don't get anything more out of this message, know this, that you can have connection with the Father through Jesus. And that's way more valuable than diamonds ever will be. But, you know, it's not just a one-way thing with God. It's not that you get to talk to him through Jesus. He wants to talk to you. And he does. Open your ears and he will. God wants to have relationship with us. That's why he sent Jesus. There wasn't that two-way relationship until Jesus came. But through our Lord, we get to have two-way relationship with God. We get to have relationship and connection with him, which is so incredibly awesome. It's there all the time, but it's a case of God is a gentleman. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. And God will never push himself upon us. And people that don't believe in God, if they do the whole arguing against Christianity, arguing that God exists, arguing, and quite often you'll hear the statements of, well, if God was real, why does he let this and this happen? Why does he let people do this and this? Simple answer is God wants us to come to him. If he forced us to come to him, then it's not us wanting to come to him. So that's called free will. He gave it to Adam right back in the garden. Free will was, don't eat of this. You can if you choose to, but I strongly advise you don't. The warning obviously wasn't in bold yellow writing with hazard tape all around because Adam ignored that. But God's always about giving us choices, the choices to come to him. Let me go to a slightly different example for you. Most of us drive cars or certainly have been in cars. Let me talk about that spare tyre. When's the last time you checked the air in the spare tyre? Let's do a show of hands here. More than a month ago, and I'm sticking up my hand here, more than a month ago since you'd last checked your spare tyre, and for the rest of the hands, I'm assuming, no, you did it less than a month ago. That's amazing. We're going to sign you up for a frequent mechanics course afterwards, and you can teach the rest of us. Let me tell you this. You will find out when your spare tyre is flat when you need to use your spare tyre. And that's probably a little bit too late. You have to call the RSC or a friend or an enemy or somewhere in between. So we don't want our lives in God to be when we absolutely need him, and nor does he. He wants us to check in on him regularly and a little bit more than once a month like that spare tire as well. But God will never force himself upon us, but he certainly do, does want to be available to us. So we should be reaching out to God whether we feel we need him or not. And that's why it's such a great thing to build a regular devotional life, a, a prayer life, a, a time with God, whatever title you want to put on it. I strongly encourage you, build that into your life. I mentioned how when I went into my work situations, that I would pray every single day that I would go into work that God would be with me and it helped me to be a great witness and a great disciple for him. Well, that wasn't just when I prayed Monday to Friday and I didn't bother on the weekends. I've built into my life a regular, what I call a quiet time. Some Christians refer to that term. It's just you setting aside some time to spend with God on a regular basis. That ought to be talking with him, listening, trying to hear from him, reading his word, most certainly, uh, bringing prayer petitions before him, maybe journaling, whatever works for you, putting on some worship music and worshipping and singing as uh, wonderfully or as badly as you do, but that's fine because God loves it anyway. So all of that, it's important to build that relationship with God so that you actually know whether your spare tyre in God is flat or not. 
If you're regularly checking your spare tyre every single day, you know when you get the flat, not a problem, got it covered, my spare tyre has air in it because you've checked it every single day. Isn't it great to have air in your God tyre so that you know every single day that no matter what comes your way, you are full of air, you are full of the Holy Spirit in a way that you can grab hold of whatever it is that God's got before you and he will see you through on that day because you know him, because he's there, because you've built that relationship with him. God's very clear. Uh, Jesus quoted this scripture, but I want to show you back where uh, he originally quoted it from. This is Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. It's not on the screen. I'm just going to read it. But Deuteronomy verse 8 says, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus quoted that scripture when the devil tried to tempt him, but doesn't mean it is not effective and true. We can't live on bread alone. We need God's word. We need to read it on a regular basis. If you're a Christian, if you haven't got a Bible, you haven't got around to getting one, if you haven't got a smartphone app, but you want a paper Bible, um, then we want to give you one of those. So you can go to our Connect Hub and we'll help you uh, with that. Or you can download. There are so many free apps you can get on your phone where you get to have a Bible on there. But I want to encourage you, read your Bible regularly. And more than that, don't just read it for the sake of, you know, verse of the day. Um, make sure that you're doing it to learn about God as well. Because I think there's two ways in which you can read the Bible. You can read it in a devotional sense, such as, okay, God, here I am today. Speak to me through your word. That's great. That's powerful. But you won't always necessarily be learning a lot about God unless you do some sort of structured way of reading the Bible and studying it. So rather than maybe opening up the Bible or scrolling through randomly and picking out a verse and letting God speak to you through that, which is good, if you read an entire book of the Bible, maybe start with Matthew. If you read the entire book of Matthew, you'll get a better picture of who Jesus was. You'll get some more understanding. Maybe mix it up with some Old Testament things. Get some sort of a structure plan. And we've got a great tool for you, something that we launched uh, earlier on this year. So we're going to show you a slide here. It's our online discipleship course. Very simple web address to go to. It's teach.metrochurch.org.au. We designed this course. It's online and it's free and it's available for you. It's available 24-7. And over the period of 12 months, it won't necessarily take you 12 months, but if you just did one unit per month, then it will take you about a year's worth. So we wanted to make sure that we gave you something, not just over two days, that builds this into your life. So if you do one of our 14 units that we're looking at rolling out, now all 14 up there at the moment, uh, we've got the first five and we're adding a new unit every single month. But if you just pace yourself, if you just spend the next year building in regular Bible study, learning more about God, learning more about the Bible, in 12 months' time you will be a changed person. You will know more about God. You will know more about being able to hear the voice of God and getting instruction into your life. So that's why we've done it, to be able to help you with that. It's done by Jan Green, one of our great uh, ladies in our church. She's down at Kids Church. No, she's right here, Jan, on second row here. Let's give a cup to Jan. She's done a great amount of work. For those of you that have seen it, it's absolutely amazing stuff. It's easy to understand, but there is great depth and great knowledge in it. So I say that not to make you think it's too hard. It's easy to understand, but you will have an amazing, solid knowledge when you go through each of these units. So we would love you to be a part of that. Um, there are some self-guided optional quizzes you can do if you wish to. You don't have to do them, but if you want to just say, well, how much have I retained on what I just read about? Well, then you can be a part of that and go through those and uh, make that a part of your discipleship growing as well. So really encourage you to be a part of that. 
All right, so I'm getting close to the end of my message. So worship team, if you could guys could come back. I think I can hear some of them uh, side stage there. Final scripture, just to wrap up that point there. Uh, this is John 20 and verse 29. Then Jesus told them, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet have believed. This is after Jesus rose again. And he's talking to some of the, the followers that were there at that time. And he said, look, that's great. You guys are pretty excited. But there are people that are coming after that will believe in me that have never seen me before my death or after the resurrection. And unless I'm mistaken, I don't know everybody in this room, but I'm pretty sure most of us in this room have not physically seen Jesus, yet we believe in him. And I remember praying this probably about, I don't know, 15 or 20 years ago when I first read this verse. And I actually thanked God that he enabled me to believe in him without actually seeing him. Because in my mind, at least I thought, well, if I believed in Jesus only because I saw him, then how much faith is that? Like I can see Mark Patterson on the front row. That's not a level of faith. That's just me opening up my eyes. He's a great guy. I can see him and that's fabulous. But I don't need to believe anything more than just opening up my eyes. But for us to believe in a God that we've never seen, that's an incredible thing. And this scripture says, God has done an amazing thing of faith in our hearts and in our lives. The fact that we get to come to that place. And so in a few moments, we're going to give you an opportunity, if you don't know already, to meet a Jesus that you have not yet seen. And maybe he will manifest himself and that'll be great. Uh, but you can meet him anyway. So he's done amazing things. So that's point number three. We have more than we realize. And just briefly, as I move towards a wrap up, point number four, celebrate the celebratory. Celebrate the celebratory. Here's one last look at the other brother. Luke chapter 15 and verse 32 says, But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Celebrating things is a great thing. We've talked about Celebrate Women Day. Uh, I talked about the, the wedding that was... Jesus' first miracle. And by the way, in Metro Church, we love to celebrate those things with you as well. If you're a member of our church family and you are married, please let us know your wedding date, your wedding anniversary, the day, the month, and the year. The year is most important because we love to celebrate with you publicly. Every fifth wedding anniversary, we will embarrass you by getting you to stand up. We'll give you flowers and chocolates, and we will celebrate with you the great things that, that marriages are. If it's your birthday, we'd love to know when your birthday is. And as long as we've got your details, as you as a church family member, we will send you birthday cards. Um, handwritten, they're not some mass mail-out thing through snap printing. We actually do them ourselves, handwritten to every person that is a member of this church family. So we love to celebrate those things as well. But, you know, the father, he was celebrating the fact that the son came back. And I'm pretty sure that in the father's mind, the son was probably dead. We don't know exactly timeline-wise how long, but he went to a faraway place. And we didn't have Perth, London direct flights in those days. So he was gone. It was probably a one-way trip. Who knows? The father must have been mourning his son, probably thinking that he was dead all these years. So the celebration was absolutely immense. Not only was the son not dead, but he'd come to see the error of his ways. That was the, the greatest cause of celebration. The son going, not only am I back, but I was so wrong in what I did and uh, come back into my life. And so the father was absolutely pleased to be able to do that. And that's exactly what's happening right now in heaven. We've got a God up there 
who's been looking at all of our hearts, all of our lives. We've got a Jesus who says, all you need to do is reach out to me, say yes to me, invite me into your, into your heart, and he will come in. It's as simple as that. It is the most powerful thing that you can ever do. It's also a very personal thing and a very private thing sometimes as well. So in this church, we're not going to, and in this, this morning in particular, I don't want to impede on that in any way whatsoever. So I'm not going to embarrass you by getting you to put up a hand, by coming down the front here or any of those things. That's not to negate the significance of this, but we're going to give you the privacy to be able to do that yourself. And one of the ways in which we do that, it's related to the online discipleship that I just talked about, is that, and this might do your head in, we would like you to text the word yes to this number that's coming up on your screen. 0488 826 392. We're saying to you, if you want to accept Jesus into your heart, text the word yes to that number. And God will understand that it's you saying yes to Jesus. And that's as simple as it can be, as long as it's real in your heart. As a result of that, hopefully heaven changes and so does your life. By sending through your mobile number, by, send, by texting yes, we will then send you a Bible verse every day for the next 30 days just to get you started in reading the Bible. We'll also send you a sample prayer that accompanies that Bible verse, showing you how easy it is to pray and the different ways in which you can pray to God. You can opt out anytime if you want. Your details are confidential. We don't send them off to anybody else. They stay within the life of Metro Church. After those 30 days, there are 10-day series that you can opt into if you want, and you can learn more things about God. Opt out of those at any time. Or, of course, hop on to online, sorry, hop on to the uh, teaching.metrochurch and be a part of that as well. If you want to make a physical step, a tangible step in doing that, whether you've texted yes or not, you can also go out and go to our Connect Hub and speak to those people and just say, I want to say yes to Jesus. That's all you need to say. I want to say yes to Jesus and they will help you also. So there might be people this morning that you're responding to that. Maybe you're hearing this uh, via the podcast. Maybe you're watching it via YouTube. So let me pray that God will follow up with those responses. Lord, I thank you for this morning. And Lord, I thank you for anybody who's responding to you in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that you will make it more than just three little letters. It will be a yes that will change the trajectory of their lives. I thank you for that. I pray for every single person in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.